Welcome to Going Deeper, the podcast for leaders who are passionate about making work more inclusive, more authentic, and more meaningful, where we explore what it means to lead from your soul. Now here's your host, the founder of Deeper Work, leadership coach, Nick Dugan. Hi, everyone. My guest this week is Yvonne Chang. Yvonne is an executive coach and consultant for corporate, government, and business leaders and individuals, and she's also my coach. Yvonne's coaching draws on areas such as human development, leadership, and change, as well as her experiences as a professional dancer, business executive, human potential consultant, and project leader in eco-psychology and environmental sustainability. This week, we're going deeper by talking with Yvonne about how she approaches soul and spirit in her coaching practice as well as how she integrates her experiences with eco-psychology, somatic practices, and diversity and inclusion into her work. Yvonne, welcome to the podcast. I really appreciate you joining me today. Well, thanks for having me, Nick. It's very exciting. So you and I have gotten to know each other over the past couple of years because you are my coach right now. So how long have you been a a certified coach? How did you get trained and, and get into the coaching profession? Um, when I moved to the Netherlands, which was back in the late 80s, um, I was moving there to be with um, a very nice gentleman who eventually became my second husband. Um, and he was a management consultant, had his own consulting firm that did um, change processes within organizations, uh, medium and large size organizations. So... Um, they needed somebody to work with individuals and to work with leaders. And I was very, very interested in that particular um, uh, inroad into working with helping organizations by helping the leaders to get the best out of what they believe they were as people and as leaders. Um, and that became my specialty. Um, there, I'm called a Ontwicklingsbegeleider. Oh, my goodness. With a very guttural... <laughs> from Buchleiter, and that means a development guide. So they didn't have coach, they didn't have the term coaching. Um, This was uh, a long time ago. I've been at this a long time, seen many different sides of this. Um, And when I started immigrating back to the uh, United States, um, I was trying to figure out what am I gonna do with myself now that I'm no longer gonna be part of a wonderful team and have an organization working, uh, working together as a team, part of this organization. I thought, all right, so probably I should do this thing. And, and I started looking around, what's it called here? And lo and behold, I found coaching. So um, I went ahead and started down that road and eventually um, got the certification necessary um, through the International Coach Federation. I've been really happy and never looked back. Uh, been happily on my way and uh, loving every minute of it. So when you think about, you know, the way that you do coaching, I know everyone has kind of their own style, their own approach. What is your approach to coaching? What are some of the philosophies that that you bring into your coaching? So I draw from uh, many, many, many different sources, but I was thinking about this and um, I'd like to just um, bring up two people, two authors that I really am inspired by just to kind of get us started off because they have a little bit of language that I find really um, useful. Mm. So one of them is uh, Margaret um, Benefield, and she has a book called Soul at Work, um, Spiritual Leadership and Organizations. And she says her book is for any everyone who suspects that there is more to business than the bottom line. 
which is what I totally believe. Mm, yeah. um, she's looking at how the soul is manifest in her organization and the role that each person uh, has in nurturing soul for themselves. So when I read that, I thought, okay, I'm not completely nuts. And there's other people <laughs> that are like-minded. So very good. Then um, a number of years later, I bumped into Fred Kaufman's book on the meaning revolution and the power of trans, trans, transcendent leadership. And I love that expression, transcendent leadership. So transcendent means that there's something beyond just leadership. There's another level, another dimension of it. Um, and he writes that every organization has a immortality project at its core. So it wants to live on. It wants to have its eternal that is um, uh, feelable and noticeable uh, wherever it resides. Um, and their missions might be uh, the way they word that immortality project that they are trying to bring forth, which is their ennobled um, purpose. So, and then looking at transcendent leadership, he believes that um, whoever's the leader who's a transcendent leader will help the organization connect to its mission, no matter what title they have. And Ariana Huffington said about Kaufman's book, real leadership is not about hitting your numbers. It's about creating a culture of purpose and meaning and inspiring others to realize that they can make a lasting difference in the world around them. So that's what I believe that I'm trying to go at with a leader uh, when I'm coaching. I'd love to hear how you, um, you know, what's your take on, on how soul shows up at work? And in particular, how does that get woven into your coaching approach? So looking for soul for me starts with self-awareness, building self-awareness. Yeah. So I know that anytime we're working on helping, um, whenever I'm working with someone, helping them become more aware of themselves, I'm eventually going to be looking for what do I hear? What do I feel is coming out that might be soul? Right. Um, and then if we all come back to soul, what that might be. But then there's the bringing in the phrase that you have in your um, uh, the tagline of your organization, right? Bringing, sure, bringing soul to work. Yeah. Bringing soul to work. All right. So the, the bringing part is, all right, so if we have something on the inside that's very deep and maybe even very transcendent at the same time, um, and we need to bring that out or we want to bring that out, there's, a, there's actually an action, a movement um, that maybe we could call our drive or our motivations. Um, I use the word expression. So the soul is there. It's in its state of being, but then it wants to express itself. And expression is usually more easy to understand when we talk about words and um, our beliefs and what, we, um, what, we're, what we're trying to say to each other. So I look at that and then I'm listening for what is actually animating or enlivening in the words that people are using about themselves and what they're doing and what's, what matters to them. So then I know, okay, I'm sort of hearing the words of that expression that's moving, trying to get to the outside world. And then bringing all of that to work, um, in work, we, we use the words a lot. Uh, we have lots of goals that might be that that desire on the inside, but eventually we get into the things that are part of what leaders and everybody does, which is our tasks and the things we have, our to-do mm. list, the things we're solving. Um, oftentimes I hear those things and I know that that is a external 
manifestation of what actually comes from the inside that is flowing through the expression out into the world. So if I can follow that trail with what somebody is doing and uh, what makes uh, what what they're um, interested in doing, and then see if we can find the more core pieces of that that are coming through the words or the passions or the expressions, then I have a sense I might be getting a little bit closer to what soul might be for that human being. Yeah. What a beautiful expression. I love that. I mean, you and I've had conversations like this before, so it's not the first time we've talked about that that model. But every time we talk about it, I get kind of a slightly different picture in my, my head. And what was coming to me this time is just that that um, the differentiation between what is always true, right? The sort of the unchanging, whether you call it soul or not, right? The the truth of you, whatever you kind of find that deepest part of yourself to be the inner part. And then the expression or the external part, how does that show up in our work and yeah. our relationships and yes. our behavior? And then I think especially calling out that, you know, bringing or expressing or whatever you, there is an action there. It is an active process. It's not something that happens on it on its own. And I love thinking about the, uh, you, you know, you as a coach or, or any coach being someone who is kind of a guide to helping someone connect the inner to the to the outer manifestation. I love that picture. Tell me a little bit more about how you do that. So if you're in a session with a new client and, and this is sort of your general approach, how you think about this in general, you know, do you have a model in your head or are there things that you're thinking about in terms of bringing that out in someone? How does that actually show up? So if I use soul as the being of a person that you said the truth of a person, um, that isn't necessarily so uh, easy to put into words. Maybe it even transcends right. words. Um, that is a part that I would consider your essence. And I have to draw upon um, some old methods or a, um, a system out of antiquity, uh, which was fathered by the mathematician, and some know he was a mystic uh, Pythagoras. So this goes back to the very early Greeks. And he um, believed that the, um, the, the natural order of everything um, can be represented by a very simple num system of numbers. These are just representatives of these different, this, this natural order. So the one and the two, the one is what initiates. It's like the seed. It's like the inception. Uh, maybe we call it our passions. And then the potential in which we might drop this, um, the sea or the soil, the whole um, huge bucket of possibilities where we would initiate that is called the two. Mm. So that is at least something that I'm looking for. And it's usually fairly simply, you can describe it fairly simply. Yeah. Uh, like one of my essences is um, the number five, which is about change and movement. So I don't sit still very easily. My mind is always moving around. Um, it's always moving in all different directions. So I'm very agile in that sense. So those are external ways that you might notice what the essence is on the inside. Then we have the expression, which is the number three. So when the one and the two or the yin and the yang um, or the inception and the soil in which it was is going to be planted come together, something intangible happens, right? Male, female together, baby. <laughs> that magical thing something gets created something yeah. gets expressed something comes into being and that is actually what goes on inside of us as well without us usually being aware of it at all 
Um, so when I'm coaching, I'm asking for your feelings. Um, I look at beliefs and values. Those give me some indicators. Um, and then we're looking for, is there something that I can actually notice that is kind of repetitive in the way it starts to take form? Yeah. Uh, in my case, um, development is a um, extension of all this movement and growth and progress that I always feel. So I moved into the area of development and development has a natural progression, which I'm always looking for. So I'm looking for the natural progression of somebody's development. So that's an external or a perspective of how I am in essence, a lot about this five of change. Yeah. Then we get into the next thing is how is that really going to show up tangibly in our life? Um, so what do we do? What do we want to make happen? Um, and that can be motivated by, and often is by our core or our essence. Um, so, uh, when I can look at how people are, the, the kinds of questions or the subjects and the kinds of things they want to fix or make happen, if I can see something similar in their kind of a root in that, I kind of know that might be a bit of a, clue as to what might be going on at the essential level. So all of that is going on simultaneously. Like in my case, um, I have always gravitated towards being a change agent. Um, I love looking at how things are moving and progressing both in an organization as well as in a person. Um, and sometimes I notice the world is coaxing me to actually get into that area. So I meet this man and he actually does change uh, in the Netherlands. Um, and that just kind of ushered that whole possibility in, in my life. And I thought, oh, didn't know that was going to happen, but it's sort of showing up on my lap. So why not go with it? And I was very intrigued by the work that he was doing in the Netherlands. So that's the external world kind of marrying with me and working with me. Yeah. Which is kind of magical. It is. It's very magical. I, you know, one question that comes up for me, I think, you know, as, as a coach myself, I have my own similar threads and philosophies and, and different uh, systems that have inspired me. And it always feels like a little bit of a, a tightrope walk to how do I be authentic to myself and those things that bring meaning to me, but then also create space for clients who may or may not resonate with that. So I'm curious how that shows up for you kind of in a day-to-day, -day, are you are, are you talking about kind of the, the numbers with clients or are you just weaving this into the background? And where do you, how do you kind of um, manage that dance between bringing in your own philosophy, but then also creating space for whatever their process and, and perspective is? That is such an important question because it really, really speaks to the integrity of using any tool or using any system. Um, always from the very beginning to the end of the day, um, coaching for me is about the human being that I'm working with. Um, that person is the lead and takes the lead and uh, drives where we are going. Um, so if um, it happens to be that a person might be interested in some of these less orthodox kinds of systems. Great. Uh, I may bring it up. Um, most of the time it's going on in the background. Yeah. It's what, it's what helps me. It's a framework that helps organize the many, many, many different aspects of a human being who I am, um, in, in uh, a coaching relationship with. Um, and if we never get to anything that looks even sounds like a number, no worries, no <laughs> problems. 
yeah. um, because it's it's most important for me to respect a person's truth and their beliefs and what how they frame things and um if i can use it and it's helpful for them great if not it's fine because it inspires me yeah i love that i think what you just talked about also makes me think about it really is about finding the words and finding what it means to to a person right coaching is really about helping someone develop themselves and find the answers within themselves and you described it as that essence that then how do you express it and how does it manifest in the world and part of that is you know bringing our own systems and ideas but also tapping into what does it mean for them what is you know what word do you use instead of soul is it is it something like essence is it something mm-hmm. like values is it beliefs is it um you know creativity so i think it's interesting to be able to um you know bring all these things that we're inspired by that that help us be more in tune with what's coming up but that each sort of different system or philosophy also makes us better able to adapt to how does this unique individual talk about it like i love how you said your you know coaching is about being there for that particular human being so i think that's a really great perspective speaking of different systems that have informed your coaching i know one of the things that you have shared with me in the past is that uh, one of the areas you've studied and been involved in is eco-psychology. Um, I'm really curious about that. How does that show up? I think, you know, we think about ecology and, and the environment and we know about psychology and humanity, but we don't often think about those two paired. So I'm curious, you know, first of all, how did you um, get started on your journey to studying eco-psychology and, and how has that informed uh, your work today? Um. The journey to eco-psychology was a very unexpected journey for me. Um, I was born in the city. Um, my mother was not very particularly um, comfortable being in the outdoors. Um, so I always had to have my pretty shoes on and keep my pretty shoes very clean when I went out. Um, so I didn't get to get into the mud or the dirt um, or climb trees. Um, so I came to eco-psychology um, many years later. I was, it was, uh, I think, 2005 when the Hurricane Katrina um, took over New Orleans. Mm. Um, and I was um, in the States at that time or around that time. And having lived in the Netherlands, who are very much uh, water management folks, they are very respectful of Mother Ocean, and um, they never take that for granted. And here we are having um, these huge waves and surges of water that are taking over parts of New Orleans. And when I saw, in my belief, compared to what I have seen happen in the Netherlands, um, the aid that was helping those that were in distress and those that were in huge crisis to me was not enough. So I was having my own form of a judgmental meltdown um, and was thinking to myself, there's got to be more that can be done. So um, from there, that was a turning point for me. So Hurricane Katrina um, for me was shocking. I had a lot of grief um, that felt like a catastrophe. Um, and those things push me deeply inside. And the, that part of me that wants to change said, all right, I got to learn something about the more about the earth. And I have to figure out how can we as people uh, do more to help each other and be in some form of relationship with nature. Um, as I noticed, those that are in Holland are. They don't take their water uh, and management of water and rain and all that stuff for granted they really work with um 
with, with nature. As a matter of fact, the Netherlands were uh, some of the scientists, water management scientists who I've worked with were asked to go to um, New Orleans and help them figure out what kinds of systems they could use um, so that they could be more prepared for flooding. Oh, wow. So that led me on a whole journey of, all right, so what can I study now? I'm interested in psychology. I'm interested in the planet. And after um, lots and lots and lots of searching, I found a the one and only, no, there's two actually, studies in the whole United States that combines those two. And that is ecology and psychology and eco-psychology. And it was, um, that program was at Naropa University, Naropa University, which is a university based in contemplative studies. At the time, I was already a, a pretty heavy meditator. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I think I just died and went to heaven. Here is a university that is based in contemplative studies. So I'm going to fit pretty much in. So I'm not going to be such a um, outcast because I don't really have hiking shoes. Um <laughs> Or do I feel very comfortable in a tent? Um, but um, I have the, I, my love of psychology and I have a deep connection through um, being a Dutch water lady and <laughs> I'll manage. So I started the program in eco-psychology, which is all about the connection between humans and nature and how it gets disrupted and how we can bring that back together. So I get this wonderful platform in coaching to be able to find out uh, what um, about nature inspires or touches or even maybe just a hobby for all the mm. people that I coach because I can always bring that up. And there's usually a fairly easy in. Um, what's your favorite place in nature? And I will always get some answer from their on their porch all the way to uh, having climbed some major mountain or having done sailing in some major ocean. So yeah. I'll always get an answer. So what does that, what does that bring to your coaching? How does that expand your, your ability to help coach folks bringing in that, that eco-psychological lens? Um, there's different avenues because what I learned is um, we all have an affinity to something about nature and affinity can be what our sensory um, self is attracted to. Um, that can be smells, that can be um, places in nature, that can be animals. Um, and that is getting into what we call in eco-psych our ecological identity. So I can get to know a person and maybe find some also some ways that they a uh, person is expressing themselves and maybe something very natural to them through their interaction with nature from something as simple as having a vegetable garden all the way out to being a, um, you know, a volunteer at the SPCA or Friends for the Trees or every, every summer they go out to a specific place on the beach and hang out and that's where they feel the most enlivened and the most themselves because there's something about those places or some form of nature that speaks to them and what is speaking to them and where is it speaking to them inside themselves. Perhaps the soul, perhaps yeah. something very natural to them. I love that. It, it reminds me a lot of, you know, some of the Jungian ideas of the unconscious and, and how in, you know, modern culture, especially Western culture, we've, we've really separated ourselves and prioritized like reason and the mind. And we, we really are so much in our heads. I think, you know, one thing about the last two years and being through this pandemic that has really brought home for people is that our way of being is not necessarily sustainable and being in this, you know, in our heads and in our thoughts is, is not necessarily 
the the best way to be interacting. There's certainly a, a place for that. It's helpful. We wouldn't be able to get our work done if we didn't have that. But I, as, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm just getting this sense of getting more in touch with the other parts of our uh, of our of our of our bodies. You know, our our bodies, our sensations, our connections to what do we like in nature, and it's almost like a um, I don't know. I feel it feels almost like a secret language, right? That you're able to tap into and understand, like what is what is the part of you that's not the conscious, directly thinking part saying? And it might come up in nature. It might come up in these other ways. We might call it soul. We might call it something else. But there are other factors that I imagine is really helpful in coaching to helping someone have one of those realization moments of like, gosh, I didn't realize I valued that or that I felt that. But sort of by going this maybe more roundabout path than we're used to by connecting through through nature or the body that you're able to kind of bring, as you mentioned, self-awareness to folks. Um, One of the big ahas that I had while studying eco-psychology is uh, we learned about how starting from babies, we are connecting to our surroundings. And eventually we learn language and language becomes a very important um, vehicle for connecting to um, humans and to uh, yeah to humans that we can communicate through language. But prior to that, we have something called a direct connection. And that direct connection, apparently some brain scientists are saying it's from the other side of the brain or some other regions of the brain. And um, Rachel Carson, who wrote, um, uh, who was an activist, and she had a nephew and that nephew and her went out walking in nature a lot. And what she noticed while watching him is he had what she considered to be a direct connection to the butterflies, to the mushrooms, to whatever creepy crawly things that he was discovering. Um, and she called that sense of wonder. So she mm. coined the phrase sense of wonder. And sense of wonder is uh, considered to be a director connection to something that we are interacting with. So we kind of are not using language. We're having almost a um, interconnection with whatever that is that we're interacting with. So I often use the question about what's your favorite place in nature to see if I can get a little closer to what is that wonder that a person might be feeling and trying to help that to come alive again, because there might be another clue or a doorway into something that might be transcendent or a part of the soul for that person. Yeah. So one of the interesting things that I have learned from working with you is, as my coach is you, you know, you have that kind of broader perspective about eco-psychology, but you also have, uh, and I think this is interrelated and it's interesting sort of hearing how the, 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 how this fits into your journey that you also do a lot of somatic work and have a background in, in dance. I wonder if you might talk a little bit about where are the connections or differences between kind of the eco-psychological lens and then that, that more somatic um, body centered lens. Um, boy, these are questions that we could probably spend a month, <laughs> a month together talking about. Um, all right, let's see if I can thread these together. Uh, so my connection to the body, having come from the little girl in the white shoes who's not allowed to get dirty, didn't allow, wasn't allowed to know about her body either. Mm. So um, I, but I was interested in art. So when I went to college, I eventually figured out that I'm probably going to have to be in the art side of things because that's what I feel most um, natural, where I gravitate. Um, And I 
learned how to tap dance when I was very young. And I thought, okay, so this university has a dance department. I wonder if I can get into the dance department because I do like to dance. I like music and um, it'd be good for me to uh, try that out. Well, and I, hear, I think be- you went to one of the best universities in the world, didn't you? <laughs> one that you're very close to, <laughs> uh, University of California, Santa Barbara, and they have a awesome dance department. Yes, both both former gauchos. So we got to put the plug in for UCSB there. So you joined the, the dance yeah. department at, in Santa Barbara. And what I learned there is I have a body. Um, you can use creativity. Um, you can use energy. Um, and you can put all of that together. And I started noticing, I started feeling a sense of unity, which mm. is this very spiritual kind of concept but when I could feel the energy of the music and use my creativity in how I move, my body is very involved there. And that was some of the most spiritual moments that I had felt prior uh, since before then. Wow. So it was a kind of spiritual spark that I felt with um, using the body, using the energy and using my own ability to innovate uh, and to create. So I actually found my soul in dance by putting all of those things together. Um, and many years later, I was working with children in um, uh, movement education, and I had a group of third graders that were like the worst, uh, the most disruptive kids in the school. <laughs> so the teacher was really sitting there very gleefully watching me struggle with these uh, 30 kids. And I thought, there's no way I can discipline these kids. You know, we're in the cafeteria, they got their shoes off, and they pretty much just go wild. Once you take your shoes off, it's sort of like a a cue for -for free-for-all. It was at the time that um, a very important movie uh, was coming out, and that was Star Wars. And so I thought... I think I've heard of that one. Ah, yeah, a few of us have. (laughs) Um, I thought, I wonder if I use the theme of Star Wars, if they will get into it. Lo and behold, what I learned is through fantasy, they could find spirit. Interesting. And this class of disruptive kids, even including the one who did not want to dance, he said, can I play, push the button of the tape recorder, Miss Chang? And he was so involved. Um, I let them bring in costumes for um, like in the bar with all the strange creatures. I said, but I don't want to see those costumes until we get to that section. They had it hidden down their pant legs in their back and these they whipped these costumes out when it was time and they transformed so that ability to have the freedom to bring their imagination in and listen to this very inspiring music and the delight of the fairy tale of good and bad um, all ignited in them something transformative so I saw that fantasy can be another place that people find spirit. I love that because you wove together the the fantasy and, you know, George Lucas has talked about how he used uh, the, the hero's journey as a model yes. for that. So there are some, you know, fundamental uh, things baked into that, that story, but then also the movement piece where I think another element of that is people, especially children have, they talk about the model of multiple intelligences, right? Where we, have valued the the mental intelligence and the memorization and math and reading and and yet kids some of them have amazing kinesthetic skills kinesthetic, or, or other type of skills. skills yeah <laughs> you know it, it's such a great uh, segue because the the last area I wanted to just ask you specifically about that I know you've worked on in your coaching work is around diversity right and looking at how do different cultures different people 
express these concepts in different ways? And and how do we as as coaches, as 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 leaders, make sure that we are creating that space to um, where diversity can can thrive, whether it's with children, all their different creativity, or uh, when we're talking about coaching clients or, or other things. So I wonder if you might talk a little bit about kind of the work that you do around diversity and, and how that ties into some of these other areas you've been talking about. Um, well, thank you for taking me on this beautiful long journey because we, <laughs> we're going through my whole lifetime uh, in this one uh, interview. So, Your hero's journey. <laughs> it's my hero's journey, exactly. So on my way back to the United States, um, I was looking for, all right, so now what am I going to do with myself? And um, I figured out it was going to be coaching, some form of coaching. And I started working with these nice branding people. And I had knew nothing really about branding um, and marketing. But I got very good at learning and figuring this out. They were asking me a lot of questions about my essence and what is the form that I bring out into the world. Um, so I started out with, like, if you look at my logo, you'll see the golden mean spiral, which is a mathematical uh, form um, that is related to the Pythagorean, uh, Pythagoras and um, pi and some of those um, kinds of concepts. So I've included that. Um, and then I was asked, so what is your coaching about? And the lady who was helping me um, led me to this energy that I was um, speaking about. So we ended up talking about power. And since I was a woman, we ended, and I'd done a lot of women's studies, we ended up talking about feminine power. Um, and then we went into, so what is the self? Mm. And what helped me out was um, the fact that I had been, um, I'm Asian, um, my parents uh, immigrated from China to America. Um, so I was an uh, Asian American or a Chinese American. I eventually immigrated uh, myself to the Netherlands, so I became Dutch. And then I uh, was, this was already on my way back to the U.S. So I had seen so many different Yvonne's in many different cultures and i experienced many cultures that had their own integrity their own gifts that they um provide speculas is the uh, dutch word for gingerbread and they have a different kind of gingerbread um so when i was working with this um branding lady what i realized is i wanted to be able to coach all kinds and everyone yeah. um as broadly as i could and i felt like i brought uh, I have a whole lot of different things to draw upon. So I thought, all right, so some of the stuff that's me is I'm Chinese and having fitting that into culture fits me. So um, one of the things I started to do was to join the Asian American um, Chamber of Commerce and begin volunteering here in Portland because I knew I needed to get to know people. Mm -hmm. um, and I like teaching, uh, which is a lot of what we did in our consulting company training. So I built a platform for women um, of different um, cultures, and uh, it was going to be based in development, helping them to grow. Um, so we started the Women of Color Empowerment Series, which I, I basically led for four years. Um, it was a totally volunteer group. Um, that kind of put me in the corner of diversity, equity, and inclusion, 
we have the largest North American um, in the Northwest conference, um, the um, Northwest Public Employees Diversity Conference hmm. here. And since I needed to get known and needed to develop content, I decided, okay, here's where I could teach. So I started developing content and volunteering to um, speak. I had to get accepted um, and to train in this um, wonderful, amazing um, big conference. And um, from there, I met people um, and eventually found my way into the city of Portland's um, diverse, empowered employees of Portland, DEEP. The DEEP deep group within the city of Portland. And there they were trying to develop a training and a leadership program for um, several of their employee um, resource groups. So the Latina group wanted to join that. The women's group wanted to join it. And the African and African-American group wanted to join that. So I was the lead consultant on that and uh, taught the mentors how to mentor for uh, diverse publics. And that was um, a lot of background that I was gathering. Um, And some of the things that I read um, are that every culture, every family even, has their own uh, rituals, has their own ceremonies, right? Everybody might celebrate, um, like if I'm in the Netherlands, they don't celebrate the 4th of July, but the 4th of July is a really big um, ceremony. It's a celebration time. So we have lots of rituals that go along with that. Um, if I'm here in the United States, we uh, we celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, I know the Canadians have a different Thanksgiving. Um, so it uh, being abroad really opened me up to really be curious about everybody and however diversity is showing up. Um, I can always get people to talk about their rituals, their ceremonies, you know, the foods that they like, um, the kinds of things that their grandparents taught them, um, their family traditions, their community traditions. um, And I get to take a short jaunt into their culture. Um, So I just look at it as a wonderful way to journey into their worlds and to also take a journey myself um, to get to know them uh, from their perspective when I can talk to them about, you know, how first things show up in their lives. I love that focus on on rituals and and celebrations, too, because I think, you know, in, in my work in DEI, one thing that people often ask is like, how can I do more of this with my team? How can I, you know, I'm not certified. I, I'm not, I don't want to get too deep and have a really political conversation. And, and I love that as an example, because just talking about what are your traditions? What are your rituals is a nice, easy, fairly low stakes way for people to get to really know each other. Right. And whether it's related to race or cultural background or gender or sexuality, or just your unique family situation, right talking about those traditions and and history is a really great way to kind of just share those, those differences. So I'm curious, I have to ask Yvonne, what was, what were some of your, uh, since you brought it up, what were some of the, you know, rituals and things that you celebrated, uh, growing up? Um, (laughs) 
Um, well, my parents were very enthralled with being in America because everything in America was very easy and they left war-torn China. So um, being able to go into a grocery store and um, have 15 different types of bread uh, was an ama amazing thing. So we celebrated Christmas uh, in a very more American kind of way. But one of the things that's a big celebration in the Chinese, uh, amongst Chinese, is Chinese New Year. Mm -hmm. So uh, our new year is a huge thing. We celebrate for like a month long. Um, I lived in San Francisco, so we have a big Chinatown. And Chinatown just basically goes into festivity mode for at least a whole month. Um, they've been preparing for a whole year. And one of the things that they have is um, many, many different kinds of displays and parades and parties and cultural events during Chinese New Year. Um, including uh, something, um, they have the Chinese New Year Parade. Mm -hmm. And part of the Chinese New Year Parade is the uh, Queen's Court of the Miss Chinatown USA pageant that goes mm. on in San Francisco. It is held in San Francisco, even though it's considered the Miss Chinatown USA, mm. uh, USA pageant. Which um, I was dragged into um, a bit <laughs> kicking and screaming. Um, so I got a firsthand um, up close um, seat in seeing how that whole festival was put together and um, all of what it meant to many, many um, people in the Chinese community, which is one of the largest ethnic communities in San Francisco. So um, some of their traditions date back to those that came over in, on boats wow. and were uh, a family name. And they have the family associations, which were there to help those that were coming over from China um, who didn't have a home. Um, and they date really back to when that first um, migration started of Chinese coming over to America. And many of them landed in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So I met some of these family associations. And if you, um, each of our last names um, has some is related to one of these families. So when I w went into the Chang Family Association, they all want to claim you if you are one of the <laughs> contestants. So they give you a gold medallion. So I got a gold medallion from the Chang Family Association, which I don't, I didn't know anybody there, but I immediately felt part of their family. So yeah. amazing experience. Wonderful. Well, like you said, Yvonne, you really have kind of walked us through your your life's journey. Um, I'm curious, what are you what are you focused on now? What's kind of exciting you, interesting you? Um, what are you hoping to learn more about or, or focus more on in the coming year? I would say that the the area that needs my care, loving kindness and care and development is um, some of the issues that I'm having around. Uh, my body as I'm aging. Mm. So the process of aging is a pretty big deal for those of us who are in the latter part of that. And I realized that having had um, uh, a big turning point was when I had a, um, a long, a big accident and landed in the hospital for eight weeks. I have a lot of aches and pains. So finding ways to give my um, physical nature more loving kindness is something that I want to try to do so that I can feel more ease as I'm aging. Um, if I can get to the place where I'm about to say bye-bye to the world and feel that I have been able to feel more ease in my body even as it's aging, 
I will feel like I've really fulfilled that aspect of myself that in a sense has been banged, banged up a bit much in this lifetime. Yeah. Well, that's such a beautiful in, intention. I sounds like there's a lot of, a lot of stuff there, a lot of emotions, but I just in, in having you share that after kind of talking through like the eco psychology and the somatic work, that's a nice, it's a very, um, I don't know. It's a very gentle image to think about that in, that intention. I really appreciate your vulnerability in, in sharing that. Well, thank you for asking that question. It's because I know you really well that I can answer it so um, openly <laughs> and vulnerably. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us, Yvonne. I think you shared a lot that is really inspiring and, and thought provoking for folks. You mentioned uh, several different books that I can put in the the links uh, for the the show notes of this podcast. So I encourage folks to to check those out. And uh, yeah, look forward to, uh, obviously, I will talk to you soon. We, we have our ongoing coaching relationship, but I hope folks will, will check you out and, and uh, learn from your experience and uh, maybe they'll have a chance to work with you as a coach as well. Oh my gosh, Nick, thank you so much. It's such an honor. Thank you very much. Thank you.